probably one of the most famous TV songs ever written, the opening theme song for the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, (laughs) captured an entire generation of children as they sat poised for another episode in which Fred Rogers, the show's beloved host, would take them on a journey of creativity, learning, and of life application. Come on, show of hands, how many of you have ever watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Come on, how many of you now watch um, Daniel Tiger? Yeah, got a few hands. Did you know that Daniel Tiger is just a cartoon version of Mr. Rogers? My kids learn how to go to the bathroom because of Daniel Tiger. They know the pee song. Like, it's awesome, right? (laughs) Exactly. Thank you, Pastor Mike. (laughs) As I sat the other day listening to this song, preparing for this message, as one does, I actually had it on repeat. It was awesome. I was struck by his question, which would come around at the end of the song, won't you be my neighbor? As I sat pondering his question, like it was some deep and philosophical meaning of life type of question, I realized that today, November 13th, 2016, it is. Today, it's a question that we must all ask. It's a question that I believe exposes the truth of who we are as humans and as Christ followers. The truth, however, is that this is not a new question. It's a question that has been around for a very long time. It's a question that generation after generation has asked themselves, and now we're asking ourselves once again today. Jesus sought to answer this question as he would minister from town to town and city to city, his mission to proclaim the gospel, the good news of grace and redemption, and he would do so in a climate, believe it or not, much like ours today. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 is what we're going to be studying this morning, and it offers us probably one of the most important moments in Jesus' teaching addressing the question of being a neighbor And so this morning, as as we work through this message, I want you to have that song in the back of your mind. I want you to leave here this morning asking the question, won't you be my neighbor? I looked for a cardigan this morning, but I couldn't find one, so (laughs) this is what you get. But Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, (laughs) as lawyers do, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal Life, And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Every faculty of your being, you are to love God and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Shall love how Jesus takes the most profound thoughts and just, just do it. <laughs> Get on with it. Verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself, oh, how often do we do that with Jesus' teaching? We try to justify ourselves at times, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I picture a little five-year-old with this question that he wants to throw out there to kind of spin things. Well, who's my neighbor then? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, 
as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his hands, his, excuse me, his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This morning, as we continue on in our series, The Digital Gospel, I want to speak to you from the subject, Won't You Be My Neighbor? As we deal with how the gospel should inform and transform the way that we do life together and how we can be the type of people God has called us to be in the world that we live. I love neighborhoods. How many of you would say you don't live on a farm, you live in a neighborhood? Just out of curiosity, how many of you live in a neighborhood? I remember the neighborhood that I grew up in. Uh, my parents bought the house that we were in just outside, about, uh, just outside of Seattle in this area called Maple Valley. We bought this home when there was just a few homes in the neighborhood. And I remember this home, it didn't, when we first moved in, we didn't have a fence around it. Right? There were still homes in construction. My, my brother and I and our friends, we used to wander into these homes that were still underneath construction and we'd steal the nails so that we could build tree forts. Um, yes, I was a criminal at a young age. It was awesome. <laughs> and I, I loved this neighborhood. We grew up in this neighborhood, really, and we watched the neighborhood change. We watched the neighborhood grow. I remember uh, building uh, skate ramps and bike ramps out front and we would play with the, the neighbor kids and, and, and our We'd play basketball in my front yard. We watched the neighborhood grow. We, we grew from fifth grade to sixth grade to seventh grade. We walked through these moments of life. And although I couldn't say this morning that a lot of these people remained our friends or remained in my life, they are probably some of the fondest memories I have of being in a, in a neighborhood. We used to be able to wander off into the woods in our neighborhood and, and, and go explore and walk on the railroad tracks like a scene from Stand By Me and uh, if you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. I just painted my age. And so, I loved my neighborhood. I love now getting to go to my parents' house here in, in Utah, and our kids get to play in the, the cul-de-sac or in the, in the backyard. But come on, how many of you would agree with me that your neighborhood also has some, some nuances to it, right? For some of us, our neighborhood's weird. It's just straight up. It's weird, all right? For some of us, come on, let's be honest this morning, we've got neighbors that we simply don't get along with, right? I know my parents have some neighbors that are quite interesting in, in their neighborhood. Neighborhoods are, are crazy. We've got neighbors who, during this holiday season, are going to put up an insane amount of Christmas lights, right? Keep them on at all hours of the morning, blaring in your window, drawing nuclear power from them. Like our neighborhoods are interesting. We have neighbors like me who don't clean the leaves on their front yard because my neighbor's tree is the one who put it there. He should clean it. <laughs> Sorry, a little bit of therapy this morning. <laughs> I love what my wife, she's, Erica said to me yesterday, she's like, we don't need to clean it. The tree's not even done yet. <laughs> I'm like, it's true. It's true. This morning, I want to offer us some truths that I believe are absolutely necessary for lives if we're going to navigate the world in which we're currently living. I want to offer us some truths this morning that are absolutely necessary if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be in the generation that we've been called to love and serve. 
truths that are necessary if we're going to be the type of neighborhood God desires us to be. If you didn't know, our nation's hurting right now. I posted this week on on Instagram and Twitter just a little video saying that I was going to address some things this morning, and this is, well, my ability to dress it. And I think across this nation, across this world, senior pastors are going to stand behind their pulpits and address what they need to address. But I want you to hear something this morning as a type of preface before I get into these points. This is not a political message. This is a Jesus message. This is not a Democratic or a Republican message. This is not a I care who you voted for message. This is a Jesus message because the church needs to be preaching this message because there is a name that is above every name and it is the name of Jesus. But I want to say this this morning. I know that some of us in here are hurting deeply. For that, I am so sorry. And for some of us in here this morning, we are excited which then creates a really awkward tension for us. And if we just play it by national standards and human standards, then we say, well, I've got my reason to be saddened and and, and scared and frustrated, and and I've got my reason to be excited and and joyful. But I want to include us in on a truth this morning that's really important, is that we have our national freedoms, but our citizenship is heavenly in nature. And so the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So it doesn't matter where you stand this morning, we've got to be able to come together as a church and be right where the other one is at. Our citizenship is heaven. And so I want to offer us some truths this morning that I think are going to be challenging for some of us here. My heart has been breaking this week as I've watched things that have transpired in our nation across social media. It's insanity. And I was in a conversation this week and I had a totally different message that I was going to share. I was just going to take five minutes at the end of worship to address this issue, but I really felt God just lay on me. We've got to deal with some stuff because his heart is not for the division that is happening in our world to creep into the church. Because if it creeps into the church, we're lost. Because what happens amongst us needs to be taken into the world. We can't have the world creep into the church. We need to take what happens in the church and it needs to creep into the world. It's got to get to our neighborhood. It's got to get to the highways and to the byways. And so I want to apologize in advance if I seem strong this morning. I want to apologize in advance if I start preaching really loud because this is my heart this morning. This is this church this morning. This is what we value and this is what we are about this morning. This is the church that we're going to be up in this state, up in this nation. This is going to be who we are. All right? So the first truth that I want you to hear this morning that we we gather out of this piece of scripture is this. If you try to minimalize your neighborhood, you have missed the point. Notice the lawyer says to him, who is my neighbor? He tries to shrink his neighborhood. See, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. But, uh, excuse me, the lawyer says to Jesus, or yeah, Jesus says to the lawyer, trying to, a guy walks into a bar and so... (laughs) (laughs) love your neighbor as yourself but the the lawyer says hey who is my neighbor who's my neighbor you ever had that interaction with somebody when they try to kind of swing things with just what seems like a simple question 
But the heart behind it is, well, there's a lot more going on there. Lawyer was trying to minimize his neighborhood, trying to justify what was happening in his mind and in his heart at this point. Now, if we understand the background, who Jesus was talking to, there was racial divide. There was national divide. The things that we're facing and seeing in our generation now, they're nothing new. There is nothing new underneath the sun. So what Jesus is doing, this is scandalous. His story that he's going to tell is scandalous at best. And when he starts introducing these characters, you can almost sense the palatable, oh my gosh, what is going on? Because Jesus is addressing deep-seated issues. We're not playing in church this morning. We're talking about some real stuff. We've got to understand, if we try to minimalize our neighborhood, if we try to shrink down our neighborhood, we have missed the point. John 13, 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, listen, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, please hear me when I say this true, biblical, and authentic love towards people, our neighbor, is not conditional. The love we are to have for people is, based, is not based on whether we agree or not. It is not dependent upon politics, background, education, status, popularity, or position. Our love for people is actually a product of how we have been loved and accepted by Jesus. The way you love others shows us how you feel God loves you. If you try to minimize our neighborhood, we've missed the point. Jesus is telling us that if we love like him, we can have differences and actually still have love. We can disagree and still have love. We can look different and still have love. The commonality between us all is that we are broken and in need of a savior. Come on. That's actually what binds us. We're one big, happy, dysfunctional family who needs Jesus. <laughs> right? You ever noticed? We're kind of crazy. <laughs> See, the goal is not to narrow down who our neighbors are, but rather, listen, the goal is not to narrow down who our neighbors are, but rather who we can be a neighbor to. The question is, who do you have in your sphere of influence? Who's in your world? Who's in your neighborhood? Who's in your neighborhood? Number two, the second truth that we glean from this piece of scripture this morning is this. Ignoring a problem does not mean that it's not there. <laughs> I know it seems simple, but it's true. Ignoring a problem doesn't mean that it's not there. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by a chance, by a chance, come on, have you ever had by a chance moment? By a chance, how did I, there's no coincidence in the kingdom of God, there's divine appointment. But Jesus says, by a chance, by a chance, a priest who was going down that road when he saw him passed on the other side, so likewise a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other 
saw it. Just because we ignore a problem doesn't mean that it's not there. Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. There's a lot of scripture I have this morning because I want you to know this is not my opinion. This is the Bible. Okay? So hopefully you love your Bible. Hopefully you love scripture this morning. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This next part just shatters me. And they rebuked him. The people following Jesus rebuked the very man who was crying out to Jesus. Oh, that our city would cry out for Jesus. Oh, would that be what's happening? Could you imagine? Could you imagine the sound of a city that cries out for Jesus? I think our nation, I think our world is crying out for Jesus right now. And the question is, are we pointing the way to him or are we rebuking? He cried out to him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But I love the tenacity of Bartimaeus. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart. Get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> I love Jesus. <laughs> Dude's blind, Jesus, did you know? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you want me to do? <laughs> and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. There's a couple of things that we fail to see here. He continued to follow Jesus with the very people who rebuked him. Yes. Who had the greater character? Oh, man. He, gave, he, he went with the same crowd who previously rebuked him and tried to hold him back from Jesus. Come on, church. Who are we going to be? That's not this church. It's not this church. It's not going to be this church. God's got a redemptive plan and purpose for this church. Along with many other churches in our valley. Are we going to be the people that usher people to Jesus or rebuke as they cry out because we stay in our religious little bubbles? Ignoring a problem does not mean that it's not there. We can't afford to look away in the moment that we are living in. Our world needs engaged Christ followers who are willing to stretch themselves, challenge themselves, and start making a difference. I get it. The problem seems so big that we can easily feel outgunned and outnumbered. But Jesus called us not to do everything but to do something. We can do this. This is our watch. This is our moment, church. This is our time. This is our season. Can we be a city set on a hill? Can we be a light in dark places? In a city that's reaching out, crying out. In a nation that's reaching out and crying out for Jesus. Can we be the people that usher them to him? It's Jesus. So the second thing that we learn from the scripture is that just because you ignore a problem doesn't mean that it's not there. Number three, the third thing that we learn from this is division is always a choice. 
Division's always a choice. Luke chapter 10, verse 33, but a Samaritan. Everybody say, but a Samaritan. A sea journey came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This would be the most shocking part of the story to Jesus' listeners. You see, division by race, background, heritage, etc., is nothing new. It's not just an America issue. It's always been a human issue. <laughs> Division's a human issue. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the hearts of men are inherently wicked. It's a human issue. See, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. So the fact that the hero in Jesus' story is the Samaritan makes his story all the more impactful and scandalous to his hearers. Notice he uses the priest and the Levite. These two high powers in their time. So of course when you're sitting in the story and you're listening to the story, you're, you're about to say, oh, a priest is coming by. Surely he's going to help him. Nope. Well, a Levi's coming by and surely he's going to help him. And as the Jews are listening to this story, he says neither one of those guys helped him. It was a Samaritan. <laughs> what? That's the reaction. That's how much vitriol and hate and, and despise was between them. And so Jesus' hero was the pro protagonist in their lives. See, division has always been a tool employed by the enemy to break apart what God desires to have unified. Listen to Psalm 133. Behold how good it is and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. Live in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. It is in unity that we find blessing and anointing and refreshment. It's in unity. Unity it's one of the most important things we can strive after right now. Division is a choice. I want you to hear this this morning. If your theology separates you from those who are not like you, you have some work to do on your theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, which is just a really mental picture for me that just brings great joy. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. <laughs> just think about that. I got nothing for you. Right? Nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow, we bestow actual greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our 
more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We have to fight against division. Unity is not uniformity. This is not a white church or a black church or an Asian church or a Latino church or a young church or an old church. This is not a family church or a singles church. This is not a city church or a suburban church. This is not a Republican church or a Democratic church, an independent church or whatever party you may particularly lean towards. This is not a rich church or a poor church, a deep church or a wide church. We are a Jesus church, a kingdom church for anybody and everybody. No matter what's your story, your situation, or your background, the well is a place you can belong before you believe. You can kick the tires of faith here. We will keep on preaching Jesus, praising Jesus, and bringing Jesus to this community. We are his church. That's the team to come up. The fourth thing that we learn from this piece of scripture is this. Compassion is the currency of heaven. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Compassion is the currency of heaven, church. Compassion is seen in what we give. And this morning, Eric was talking about our tithes and our offerings. It's an unfortunate day when we get caught up in the idea that the church just wants your money. No, we don't. If that's the way you think about it, please keep it. When we talk about tithes and offerings, when we talk about giving, serving, all of these different things, it's because it actually does make a difference. I got a call this week from one of the partners that we support, Holding Out Help. It's an organization that helps rescue young men from the FLDS faith, that are being ousted. They have no education, they have no home, they have no clothes. They gave me a call this week and they just said, hey, we didn't realize. <laughs> Somehow it got lost in the mix of all of it. We didn't realize that your church gives so much money <laughs> to our organization. 10% of everything that comes in here, we give away. We give away to church planning. We give away to refugees. We give away to holding out help. We give away to outreaches. Church, we're on track this year to give away more than $30,000 in one single year. We're not even four years old yet. Why? Because compassion is the currency of heaven. Our hearts should direct our hands. Compassion 
It's seen in what we give. It's seen in what we carry. He put the man on his animal. If we say that we have compassion but don't carry the burdens of others, then it's only lip service. Here's something I've realized. Many of us are bound up by our own burdens, aren't we? We're bound up by our own cares. Jesus says something interesting to us. He says, cast all your cares upon me. Something I've noticed, in order to carry somebody else's burden, I have to cast away mine. Some of us are looking for the answer of how to get rid of our burdens, pick up somebody else's. Some of us are looking for the answer, how do I get rid of this thing? Pick up somebody else's. I need to get rid of mine so I can carry Collins. I gotta get rid of mine so I can carry Justin's. I gotta get rid of mine so I can carry the burdens. We cast ours so that we can carry others. Come on, church, look around. There's a lot of us who have the ability to carry in here. The question is, is do we have the ability to cast ours so then we get on with the business of carrying? Imagine a church that was committed to carrying the burdens of others, casting away ours and carrying others. Compassion is seen in what we give and what we carry. Compassion is seen in what we say. If we say that we have compassion but our words tear down instead of build up, then it's only lip service. Social media has given many people a microphone that they do not deserve nor have they earned. Sorry. It's true. Just because you have an opinion does not mean that you have to share that opinion. But wait, free speech is my constitutional right. Yeah, but the ability to listen and not speak is a heavenly calling. What you say and what you don't say matters. James 1, 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. As Christ followers, we never grow or mature out of compassion. And so as we close, I close on this. Ephesians chapter four, verses 30 through chapter five, verse two. Listen to what it says. It's not me. It's Paul's prayer for us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, <laughs> tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Chapter five, verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is echoed one more time in Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. Before I read this, I'm going to ask everybody just to stand to your feet. As I was praying this week, God, how do I convey this message in a way that moves it not just from heart or from head, but to heart? 
And I really felt God prompt me with this. Make everybody extend a hand. So this is what I'm going to ask everybody to do. I'm going to ask you to reach across the aisles. I'm going to ask you to grab the hand of the person next to you. I want everybody linking hands in here. I know for some of you right now, this is breaking every personal code about you. I don't even like to do this because I get it. That person, they're sweating. and But just deal with it. Colossians chapter 3, 12 through 17. Then we're going to sing together. We're going to worship together. I'm just going to ask the team just worship softly with us. Put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.